Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Martin Digi Willis. Digi, Digi, wow. Digi, you it's kind of like digital because you're like this online failure. digital dude. Yeah, what do you call yourself? Failure. Oh, come Te on. Techno failure. Oh, jeez, yes. you. You're... We can talk more about that later. Yeah, I mean, uh, essentially what you're talking about, of course, is there were some technical difficulties with your interview recently with Luis Elizondo, but those are fixed now, and we'll get into that. But I do okay. want to talk, introduce uh, the show to people who haven't listened before, and we are getting lots of new lit listeners, Martin. This is exciting. Yeah. But we, we cover credible UFO news in a journalistic manner. So we looked at the substantiated credible information. And uh, we do t look at some of the speculation. But we let you know if it's speculation. Whereas, you know, in this field, there's tons of crazy speculation that is kind of, you know, sold as gospel. But uh, there's a lot we don't know. But we're, we're looking into that. And there's a lot more substantiated information these days. It's an incredible time for credible information in this field. But we also review mm -hmm. the news, the headlines in the story at the beginning of the show, and then we'll be doing that in a second. Uh, that will be the, this first segment. And then the last two segments will be our guests. However, uh, we do have guests as opposed to just one guest uh, on the show. So this is really exciting. We've got a bunch of guys who have been following all of this uh, whole unidentified television show on the History Channel and uh, this this uh, Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program Secretive Group of the Pentagon to Investigate UFOs. And so I brought these guys on on a panel to kind of review my interview with Luis Elizondo and, and Martins and uh, some of what's going on. So some of these guys are Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs. We've got mm. uh, Joe Mergia of, of UFOjoe.net. And then we've got uh, Danny Silva of The Silva Record. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Wow. Great. I'm just so sorry I missed it. I, I know. You were going to be yeah. there and there, but it, it, that didn't work out. That was too bad. Had to go out on the boat. Mm, fun. But uh, getting into the news, you know, uh, one of the things that that's both Martin and I have gotten to do, fortunately, recently is interview Luis Elizondo. Uh, he's done several interviews with Fox News, CNN, um, all these big news. Uh, they were a Good Morning America. But uh, the UFO people, you know, people who are kind of more into the topic and more educated on the details, haven't been able to get to interview them in quite some time. And Martin and I did get to, so we got to ask some specific questions. We also coordinated uh, a bit to make sure that our questions were not overlapping, which uh, was... Uh, good thing i think because then we were able to get in more questions because we both had limited time but martin i think that uh i mean i know there were some technical issues i was teasing you about that but uh you i mean your interview was still great well well thank you 
Um, yes, it, it, uh, I have no idea what happened. And, and, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, I, I wrote a blog about it on my website, uh, just because it was so unreal what happened. It was like a curse. I did, I did indeed pull it off, but I had no idea while I was doing it if, if I was pulling it off or not. And the reason being is, uh, well, anyone can go over to my website. Um, do you mind if I give it out? Oh, of course. I always yeah. plug your website. Yeah, podcastufo.com. You can see my blog, and I go into detail what happened. But it I was mean, kinda... yeah, let's not. I won't go into detail here. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, yeah. you got the interview out, and you've done something really cool, and I want to make sure people know this. You re-edit it where you fix the audio. You essentially spoke yes. <laughs> what your questions are. So if, if some people are too annoyed by the YouTube with uh, you know with your voice essentially being really low, there you've edited it and fixed it where there's another version where it's all clean. And luckily, Luis Elizondo, because I tuned in, he came across great. I mean, you could hear his voice very clearly. Yeah, and after after the interview was over, I did go in and listen because I I, I know this is hard to believe. I had no idea what he was saying. I could just barely oh, really? hear. Yeah, the the audio was so so hard uh coming in that i could i was guessing when he was done with a sentence before i'd ask my next question so wow. it was uh, it was really really quite a challenge and and it's just i think my studio is haunted i think that's i'm not in my studio, studio now and uh that's why you hear me <laughs> mm, right that's because, why your uh, stuff is working yeah, but you know, it's funny. It, the whole thing almost fell apart on both of us, and you know, you pulled it together. Um, you know, I mean, it, it. We both got to notice that the interview was off, and yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. You well, were well, able to reach. Let's out. get into the details of the interview. Actually, yeah, because uh, sure. I think people find that more interesting than how we did it. But uh, the details of your interview. How did you feel about the answers he gave you, and what were some of the uh, what was some of the information? that you felt was most uh, shocking or, or interesting? Well, first of all, I asked him right off the bat about Keith Clore's um, article in the Inceptor. I think that's the name of it. Um, Intercept. And Intercept, yes, thank you. And so I think he, you know, he answered the only way he could because how can you defend, you know, it's just one of those questions. How can you defend uh, a question like when uh, a spokesperson well, says... this Keith Clore getting into the details so people know what it is. Uh, he wrote an article, and essentially he heard from a spokesperson with the DOD who said, uh, and I think the, the verbiage is important, that uh, Luis Elizondo had no responsibilities to ATIP. Um, that's essentially what he had said. And, of course, detractors, people like Clore took that as saying he didn't work for ATIP at all. In the meantime, we've had... Another DOD spokesperson already confirmed uh, months ago, back in 20, December 2017, to Brian Bender of Politico, that uh, he did work for ATIP. And let alone we have all the people who work for ATIP saying, yes, Lou worked for ATIP. But go ahead, sorry. Well, I think actually, I think what you just said there is almost more important than a spokesperson. It's other people that say they actually worked with him. You know, even David Fravor mentioned in 2014 that... Uh, you know, he worked with him or talked to him as part of that program. And um, so I think that's just as important with all these people saying, yeah, I remember him there. You know, I mean, as 
um, a spokesperson because, you know, we may not always get the straight scoop from any spokesperson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, involved in, in the government. You know, it's just the way it is. Right. So. So I thought that, you know, he answered that as best he's, as best he could and basically ended it with saying, you know, hopefully in the future everything will come out and, you know, he'll, you know, people will see the other side of it. But, you know, I mean, what what is he going to do, produce documents or, you know, that are classified? He can't do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, I, I just thought the, the uh, his questions, uh, he answered all my questions, I thought, uh, very well, he, very thorough. And um, again, he's not, the thing I really like about him, he's not, you know, trying to force anyone to believe, you know, what he's saying. He just, he just puts it out there and then um, you can decide. But I totally, uh, any little tiny bit of doubt I had about him it has gone now. I, I totally believe he is who he says he is and, and, and all that. So um, I was really thrilled that I, I did get that interview. why is that specifically? Uh, do you feel that you you know your doubts are gone because of the answers to his question to your questions? Um, you know, it's kind of I think it's more the fact that I've just I've looked at everything you know that I can mm-hmm. find and read and and different opinions on both sides. There's like two camps, like there is about everything today, and uh, and just kind of taking it all in, and then um, and then actually getting to meet him in person. I don't know. I I just feel as though he's solid. I don't feel as though I don't have any thoughts of negativity about him saying what he is. I mean, I don't understand what the motives would be if that's the case. Or, you know, some people are claiming he's a disinformation agent. And one of the questions I did ask him, because people were asking me to ask him, and that was, are you in any way or any capacity a government contractor currently? And he started laughing. He said, well, I sure wish if I was, I was getting paid for it. You know, um, so there's, there's, uh, you know, that's just one of the questions that were out there. I don't know. You probably got a flood of questions as well from people. Oh, yeah. And then you started passing me questions. You're like, I can't, I have already too many questions. Maybe have Alejandro. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? Don't send them to me. I already have a ton. <laughs> so um, I know. And actually, some of them you had forwarded me. I, I did want to ask, but I don't know that I even, I might, I don't think I got into those. But. You know, I, what? why I asked you why you believe him, because there's twofold. I mean, when you meet someone and talk to someone, there's their character. And yeah. you're trying to make judgments off of character. Of course, that's more subjective. But uh, I've mm-hmm. always got the sense that, you know, he's this genuine guy. And, of course, I speak to him uh, fairly regularly. And he's also, you know, gets emotional about some things. He gets frustrated by some things. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it they're very nat- natural responses and i think that when you meet him or uh when you hear him answering these questions like he answered for us there's no indication there where he's pausing to make something up or to lie or to fabricate he tackles the question sometimes he feels a little exasperated you know by the question but he'll tackle it and try to answer it honestly and and they come across that way um so if he was some sort of still governing, you know, this was some part of some conspiracy, he'd have to be an incredible actor. But, you know, uh, let's put all that aside and just look at the straight data. Even if you look at the data itself, that's why I feel, uh, unfortunately, and, and I'm, you know, it's a lot of the people like Clore 
um, Clore has gotten kind of in these online battles, well, with me, because he's attacked me on, on, on Twitter, um, but also with Brian Bender, who wrote that a political article. article And Bender has been pretty plain that, hey, dude, you did not do your job. You were obviously spinning. And that is a fair assessment, especially from someone in journalism, because, sure, Sherwood did make that statement, but the statement is not clear. We know that there's only limited information a PAO officer has. We know this through our own history, but we also, Brian Bender, who's questioning that, also knows because he's worked in defense his whole, he was a war correspondent. He's worked writing about defense, just like Tyler Rogaway. Um, You know, uh, but even more of a history, at least working with the, well, I I can't say that for sure, but just to say he's very seasoned. He's an editor, for goodness sakes, for Politico on these topics. So, he 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 would understand that you know you have to take some of that information they they out of everybody involved with this whole situation the PAO of the the uh DOD is going to be the least informed it's just the way it is i mean this is a uh someone who's not an officer who's who's not been involved with all of these secret projects or or these situations we know from Reed that they tried to keep it uh, as very hush-hush as possible. Then we have a host of other people, including another spokesperson who has who all confirmed that Louise worked for ATIP. So, I mean, it's disingenuous to ignore all of that and not mention it. If you're writing a story, it's great to write a story about Sherwood. I don't even mind. I love that people are trying to look for the holes and try to find the information around it. We need the truth. But when you uh, write a story, you've got to be honest and you've got to say, Sherwood said this. However, we have a host of information that says otherwise. So why is there this discrepancy? That would be the question. Um, And that is the way the question should be posed. Uh, It shouldn't be uh, an accusation. Oh, look, this is evidence. These people are lying. And that's the stance that was taken, um, unfortunately. And, you know, some of these detractors who have been very vocal about all of this and, and um, are kind of saying, oh, we're just, you know, innocently. No, I mean, the main person behind all of this got upset with me even in trying to say that I believe that one of these documents that turned out to be real, that the DOD said wasn't real and then had to change their story, Sherwood had to change his story and say, oh, I was wrong. You know, he got mad at me for even implying or suggesting that this document was real. Um, and, and that's very frustrating. Um, also, Sherwood, out of everybody, has the worst track record. He's been wrong in the past. And I don't even mean to criticize him so much because he has limited information. But still, you've got to be honest about all of the data on the table. And all the data on the table uh, thus far has been has shown that uh, all these major players, you know, NAP, uh uh, you know, uh, some of the other people, the the people involved with ATIP have been accurate. People like Mellon, Louise, I mean, their statements have all turned out to be accurate. Let me ask you this, Alejandro. What what could um, Lou Elizondo do to prove, or does he not even really care what people think? What could he do to prove that he did work for ATIP and that was he was heading ATIP? Well, you know, during that time, 
it's very, very simple, and it's already done. So there is a, a document out there that already proves this. There's a document that was a memo from Harry Reid that was oh, actually it was a a petition essentially for a tip to get SAP status, which is special access program status. Th these are the black projects. Black projects, the real term is SAP, special access program. So these are the top secret projects. What that allows them is more secrecy for what they're doing, but it also allows them to be able to request to get information from other special access programs. That's what they were seeking. They didn't get approved for that. However, uh, George Knapp leaked out this document that shows that, uh, you know, this was what they were looking for. And Harry Reid has confirmed that is a real document. That was a document I used to try to get SAP status. Now, the names were redacted in that document, but because of all of this uh, to do with uh, Sherwood's recent statement and Clore's article, George Knapp unredacted, and he got permission to do this from Luis Elizondo and from Hal Putoff. And I've seen this document as well unredacted. And so, you know, those people are listed as people that are part of the program. So he re-released it showing that Hal Putoff and Luis Elizondo were part of ATIP. Boom. That shows they were part of ATIP. Not only that, uh, the reason why he put Hal Putoff is because Hal Putoff has been telling people, and I've gotten this from Hal himself, saying that, yes, Elizondo was part of the program. When I went to the Pentagon, I reported to him, essentially. So what you need, all you need, you, it's not even necessary to have an official document, to be honest. I mean, that is something that we want to look for to, uh, but to have confirm the people who were involved to confirm that credible people who we know were involved, that's just as good. So what would be helpful going forward is maybe a direct statement from Harry Reid. And I do not doubt that we're probably going to get that. What else would be helpful is uh, then people sharing this information with Sherwood because Sherwood's issue is he just doesn't have the information at hand. I've been saying he should have said, according to the information I have, Luis Elizondo did not have responsibilities to ATIP because he should have put that caveat in there because he doesn't know for sure. If he would have said, you know, I know definitely Lou did not work for ATIP. Well, then he's claiming that all these people are lying. His predecessor, uh, you know, uh, everybody with ATIP, he's claiming all these. But that's not what he's saying. He's essentially saying, I don't know any better. This is all I know. Um, so he's being educated. I've sent him information. I know others have. And there is word that he is examining this information and will be uh, coming out with a modified statement. So I think we're going to see him once again come out with a, a statement uh, that, okay, I didn't have all the information. Now I have more. And here's what I found. That's what we should be looking for. And everybody keeps saying, oh, look, this is evidence that the FLIR videos were not from the DOD because this guy said that, you know, this is evidence of this and that. And then later, when he's educated and documents come out to show otherwise, they make a statement, oh, okay, we admit that ATIP was part of UFOs. The DOD did release those FLIR videos. So, I mean, come on. Like I've said, there's a pattern here. They, the DOD says something counter to something we know or at least indicating something that is counter to something we know. They're educated. Then they come out and say, okay, 
we were, they don't say we were wrong specifically, but they are, they were, because they come out and say, oh, we got new information, and indeed, this was the truth. What Lou and the ATIP guys have been saying was the truth. And we've seen this pattern over and over and over again. So, uh, like I put in one tweet, uh, what's the definition of insanity? You know, um, at this point, you might even be able to say it's insane to just take, uh, Sherwood's word for it without more information because every single time they've had to change their statement. So I think we have an abundance of information. We may get more at this point. We need to move on because well, this but, is a waste of time to yeah. par- or to rehash this one question where we already know the answer. Whereas, and we should get into some of the news, there's a lot of great information still coming forward. Yeah, just one last thing on the redacted letter from George Knapp. Um, I... Someone had written me a note that that predated uh, Lou Elizondo's claim. Um, is that is that so? I mean that. Well, no, no that's not true at all. Uh, in fact, the document does say Lou was involved with ATIP, and and Lou has said he was involved with ATIP. Um, you've got to read, and it is confusing, and I don't blame people. I've got an article that's called "From OSAP to ATIP." OSAP was the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program. ATIP was the second program, which was the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And it was very confusing, and that's why I've written this article, and I don't think anybody's broken it down to this level. And I interviewed the people to find out what happened. Essentially, there was OSAP, which was covering all the paranormal, uh, researching Skinwalker, uh, that right when it started, people didn't like it. There were uh, especially religious factions saying, hey, this is demonic stuff. We can't do this. So they started a subgroup called ATIP that focused just on military UFO cases that they hoped would survive. That's what Lou came to be involved with. Involved with that first, not run. And then so uh, they were right. Uh, OSAP was just not palatable to those inside, so it, it went away. And then ATIP luckily survived, and they were able to continue to investigate UFOs. And then in 2010, Louise took it over. So uh, does it predate when Louise ran uh, ATIP? Yes, but it doesn't predate his involvement with ATIP, obviously, because he's listed there. I got it. Okay, thanks for that clarification. Yeah. It is confusing, so I'd recommend people read read that article. And I, that's why my first question to Lou when I interviewed him was, you know, as far as you know, because he's looked at that story, that is accurate, right? And, and he said, yeah, I, I, it is. And the way he wrote, when he first read that story, he said, oh, my gosh, that's crazy accurate. He's like, I don't even know where you got all that information because I don't feel like I gave you all that information. He's like, that's, a, that's the most accurate telling of the story I've seen. Those were his remarks to me, uh, which, of course, I felt very proud of that uh, because I just want to clar- help clarify all this situation for people. One other thing I want to say, and I know we don't have much time here to talk about anything else, but one one thing I have to say is the New York Times, there's, there's hardly any uh, journalistic uh, media out there that does as much research and vetting as the New York Times before Times before they publish a story. That's a um, great they're, they're point. They're extremely careful. Exactly. So if you're questioning their facts, you better have your stuff together. And so far, people who have questioned them have been wrong. And even I thought, well, what they wrote in there doesn't necessarily fit the timeline. But if you read my story I just mentioned, yes, what they wrote does even fit the the timeline 
Um, and I even answer why they excluded the OSAP part, and that's in my story. But another person who did the research was Politico. And Brian Bender, I've had some discussions mm-hmm. with him, and he's tweeted this recently. He talked with generals, he talked with a bunch of high level officials inside the government when he caught wind of ATIP's existence, and he verified through these people before 2017 that ATIP existed. He said the sentiment was ATIP exists. They wanted to start this program. I said, okay, do what you want, but I don't want anything to do with it because it's too crazy. So Bender talked to, and he, he tweeted this, he talked to very many officials. So, I mean, it's well, well, well established at this point, ATIP exists. What we need to do, and you know, you wouldn't have the Navy talking to these guys, which we're going to see in Unidentified, that we wouldn't have a, a television program based on these guys that where the Navy is working on it. I mean, you know, essentially it's so well established at this point. Uh, I think it's it's kind of silly to to be wasting our time with it, to be honest. I mean, um, we got to move on. Right. And speaking of moving on, I think we're almost out of time, aren't we? Yep. Gotta move on. <laughs> you know that. Uh, 80 yeah. song. But uh, one of the articles I want to <laughs> mention, too, in uh, the news, because I did post news at the front page of TV, is one by Task and Purpose, which is a great uh, journalist who actually talked to the Navy and the Air Force about their thoughts. And the Navy said, well, there's a proliferation of, of drones out there, so we don't know what some of these UAVs may be, or uh, UAPs, UFOs. And then an Air Force guy said, eh, but you know what? Drones probably don't have that sort of long-range capability. So it's kind of interesting. We've got this conversation that, yeah. going on about this stuff. So that's, that's a great right. article. Yeah. A number of other great articles. But yeah. thank you, Martin, well, so much. Yeah. You bet. I can't wait to listen to the roundtable. I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah, that's too to be bad. be there, that is. Yeah. Yep, we were All hoping right. Martin could join us, but it didn't work out. But thank you so much. Let's go ahead and listen to that roundtable after this break. I am super happy to welcome back on the show, but this time all at once, our expert panel on uh, ATIP and, and To The Stars. We've got Joe Mergia, also known as UFO Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So happy you guys could all make it. But we've got also got Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs. Thanks for having me again. It's good to finally talk to some of you guys, um, quote unquote, in person. Yeah, how cool is that? And then finally, Danny Silva, who runs the Silver Record. What's good, Alejandro? Thank you for having me. I'm ready to do this. All right. We're ready to rock. So this is going to be fun. Uh, I guess the first thing I want to mention. Now, I think, did did all of you get to hear my interview with Lou? I think, Mike, you said you didn't yet. No, no not yet. Cool. So we'll be able to uh, give you some, some information nice. from it that you are not aware of. But of all the things in the interview, uh, and the first thing I'd like to talk to you guys about that shocked me the most, and you know, some of us have even talked about this uh, on Twitter uh, publicly, but when I asked him about the crash retrieval stuff, uh, mainly because I'm really skeptical about crash retrievals in the first place, um, and of course I've put a lot of effort into investigating Roswell and the others, and uh you know, it's mostly anecdotal information. We don't have a whole lot there. But then 
As you all know, Eric Davis is a proponent that there are crash retrieval uh, programs out there. And uh, I asked him about that a few weeks ago. I, I think you all have talked to him about that too, some of you. But uh, so, but with Davis, it doesn't surprise me. I've heard him go there. He goes into lots of really wild areas. But I was shocked when it's Lou. I wanted some clarification around his statements on Fox News, Fox News and other places. And uh, I, I kind of had had this idea that it was just his personal opinion that there might be programs out there. But then I said, but this is something you can't prove, right? And he said, no, I wouldn't say that. So to me, means if, it w- if he was hard-pressed, if for some reason somebody put the screws on him and he had to out, you know, that there is a crash project, that he would be able to provide evidence to prove that there is indeed a UFO crash program. That, to me, was probably the most shocking thing. Let's open it up to the group. Go ahead. I don't think there's any way that um, the government isn't holding some of these pieces, especially with To The Stars openly talking about the Adam Project. Um, The government definitely has stuff, and the question is, do they have uh, a whole craft or large pieces, or do they have small pieces? But um, Hal Putoff kind of uh, let the cat out of the bag when he said um, to George Knapp on Coast to Coast, he said... uh, a whole craft would be highly classified. So I, I felt like that was a big hint. Mm-hmm. What about you I, others? I, what do you guys think? I'm I'm amazed that, he, you know, he didn't just say no comment. I'm not prepared to talk about that on Tucker Carlson because he's he's done that in the past plenty of times. When it, when there's a question he doesn't like or he, he can't answer, he'll say, I'm going to defer and just leave that one alone. But on a national news broadcast, cable cast, He's basically telling everybody in the world that the government has pieces of a craft. And then Eric, Eric Davis, Alejandro, what were Eric Davis's exact words? Because he, it seemed like he even expanded on materials. He said, what was the word he used, Davis? Well, I, I can't remember in particular, but the gist of what he told me when I kind of was plugging him on this and he went into this really long tangent about how he knows this is that it is secondhand information. He essentially said, when you work on so many top secret projects, you run across a lot of people and in the back rooms, you know, when you're talking, they begin to, when people begin to trust you, they start to share information. So, um, and why I bring that up is, so the details are murky and still uh, a bit, you know, a- about what he knows or exactly what he's been told. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it sounded like craft and pieces type of stuff, like actual crashes. It, yeah, it definitely sounded that way to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think never one of the reasons stuff. why um, for us or, you know, people who are into this stuff, they kind of fell under the radar because this is stuff we've been hearing for years. But it's still interesting to see him just kind of drop that comment, you know? Yeah, we've been hearing it for years. I think what uh, – it's just hearing it from Elizondo is a little different for me at least because he was actually in in the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm used to over the years hearing – because, I mean, I've known, you know, since Skinwalker. Davis is a guy who had the weird experiences at Skinwalker. Um you're used to hearing some weird stuff from Davis over the years, I guess is how I'll put it. Even Hal Putoff. I mean, he started doing remote viewing and everything. Um, so he's been into some odd topics. But uh, then to hear that backed up, it, it's pretty shocking. To be honest, I'm still a bit skeptical, uh, you know, 
what do they i mean a crash to me means a an aircraft of some sort or some sort of craft actually crashing and retrieving i mean that would be a lot of material that would be retrieved what's crazy about this is that everyone is saying this across the board diana pasoka jacques valet to the stars eric davis lou elizondo you know even people that don't agree like stephen greer i think would probably say that um so it's not just coming from one source it's coming from everyone and it is hard to believe, but once you start hearing it from everywhere, um, you know, I'm pretty certain of that fact now. And it's mm-hmm. Go ahead. It's just, it seems like it's a coordinated effort, and that's conspiratorial. They all got together, but it's like all of a sudden within a month or so, it's like every one of them are saying, yeah, you know, they're talking about us having craft, and they didn't talk about bodies yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's somewhere down the line. And then, you know, it's like, what do you think? I mean, you think it's just random? I mean, that Elizondo is bringing this up on Tucker Carlson? I think so. Tucker asked him, and asked I don't him, right. think that that was impressed him on it. And I don't think that uh, they coordinated questions. Um, okay. I would doubt that. And that part definitely didn't sound like it. I mean, typically those appearances are really hectic uh, where, you know, they're like, we got to get you on. You know, it's enough just trying to get the person in the right seat with the camera in front of them, let alone coordinating other things. Uh, so, and I think we can tell that by some of the clothes that uh, Lou is wearing when he does some of these interviews that uh, he's just kind of rushing over and getting in front of the camera. But uh, some of his outfits, you guys got to admit, some people have teased him about it, but they're pretty interesting. I'll, I'll wear a backwards hat uh, every once in a while. No, actually, I probably won't. But I'm not going to fault him for it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to fault him. It's just hat, funny. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear it with a suit. <laughs> yeah, right. Not with a suit. It's, it's kind of yeah. endearing. And, and while we're on this topic, just to tease the show a little bit. Uh, yeah, there was a scene that we thought was really funny with uh, the beginning where he goes to talk to Kevin Day. And he's got that giant backpack for no apparent reason. I think he planned on maybe possibly sleeping out in the backyard and he had his tent in there i don't know (laughs) that's what i was thinking is he gonna camp out in the yard i don't know what's going on here but that was pretty funny but sorry to get back to the more serious point crash retrievals um yes i think that uh what i personally feel that we've heard this all over the years what's new uh and why we're hearing a lot of things brought up again is that now we have this guy who worked in the pentagon working on this stuff and so now all of these topics get brought up because we're kind of throwing the stuff against the wall what about this what about that what about this and to find out what he knows about some of these things that other people have shared um it's not too surprising that he would uh to me I feel that there's enough evidence that there is a crash project. Now, he may be getting all of his info from Davis because we have to remember, Lou was not a UFO guy till 2009 or 10. And uh, when he got into OSAP slash ATIP and uh, Bigelow was essentially the main contractor, mostly running stuff by then. So Lou would have them began working very closely with uh, the Bigelow group, essentially, you know, Davis and put off. So they would be very influential on, you know, what his views would be on this field, I think. You guys agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, Bigelow ha- has the pieces, um, according to the New York Times. And uh, they may not be in Vegas, but they're... Um, 
it sounds like they got them somewhere and uh it's just you know like i said earlier if if, if all these private people have them um the government definitely does mm-hmm. and so uh, i, f- I found know, sorry go ahead danny that's oh, okay I found the quote where he get, uh, Davis gave to James Iandoli. It said, Luis Elizondo's brief answer to Tucker Carlson's question about whether the U.S. government is in possession of recovered crash and landed UFO technology hardware is a thousand percent accurate. See, those are the words Davis used. Elizondo didn't use those words, so it's, it's going just a little further, UFO technology hardware. So it's like to me, I'm thinking maybe it's just a piece, but that sounds like a little more than that. And it's funny what Danny just said about, you know, we, we talked about uh, the, the alloys in the New York Times article, and I, I think Lou said, well, the reporter got that wrong. Uh, it wasn't alloys, it was metamaterials, but Leslie Keene was on an NPR show the other day, and, and that was brought up. The, the, the person read the metal alloys part, and Leslie did not, she didn't say, well, we got it wrong, it's not metal alloys. She stuck with that story, and she's kinda in, she was kind of implying that that's what it was, and she didn't back down and say, "Well, yeah, it's, it's matter of material." She stuck with. She didn't say anything about that. So I'm kind of curious. Was she anybody... pressed on that point? She wasn't pressed. She wasn't pressed. He just read the article and mentioned metal alloys, and she said, "We stand by our reporting." Mm-hmm. Well, it can be tough. I've done science reporting is really difficult because uh, you've got to take these complex scientific uh, concepts and boil them down for the public to understand, and and sometimes, you know, you, and, and the scientists want accuracy more than anything. Uh, they don't want it to seem like they don't even understand their own programs when other scientists look at it. And it's hard. And this is why scientists don't like to talk to the media. And it sucks because I think that's why they've got such a bad name right now. But uh, so I could see how they were trying to. But the difference is alloys. That's a very important scientific difference. Uh an alloy, yeah, is going to, and other people have made this argument, you know, not reflect something unusual, whereas a metamaterial or something like that would, possibly. I think it's all the same terms. Um, Dr. Gary Nolan has been at the forefront of this, and uh, they called it alloys, and then I think Dr. Nolan, you know, was saying he coined the term uh, to start calling it metamaterials. Mm-hmm. And um, now that started to confuse people, and now Dr. Nolan has said, well, let's stop calling them metamaterials. Let's call them ultra, uh, ultra materials. But mm. it's all just terms, I think, at the end yeah. of the day. And I, I think the New York Times was probably describing the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Now, when we're on the topic of, of Davis and uh, put off, you know, obviously, and we'll talk about this a little. I don't want to really disparage characters, uh, you know, people too much personally. Uh, but... There's, of course, this group of people who seem hell-bent on taking To the Stars down. What's interesting about this is that these people are people who have been in this field for so long. They've been wanting to get information out. Now when people get information out, they bash those people. It's, it's just weird. It seems like this is what they wanted, but instead of – and it, it would be different if they were being fair because I think that's, that's great if you're being fair, but this isn't fair. Um, and one of the things that they've hinted at is going at the credibility of Davis and put off. And like I've said, even I sometimes can kind of take some of the things with a grain of salt just because, you know, they've been, I'm used to them talking about these really weird things. Uh, but 
these guys are very well established. Like Davis has said, he's worked on very many projects with very many different companies um, that are secret and uh, continues to do that. Uh, he's he's a, definitely a, a respected engineer who's implanted into that community. He's established himself. Same with Putoff. Putoff, all the way back in the 70s, started working on government pro- projects. Sure, they were weird, uh, in, including psychic phenomena, but that psychic program that he worked with the CIA and the Stanford Research Institute on existed for years and was was uh, recreated in different military branches. Uh, and, you know, law enforcement was relying on this remote viewing project that they did. So he obviously is very established as well inside of, you know, working even on fringe topics with uh, government agencies. So these guys are very well established. I think it's going to be, you might be able to call some of the things they say into doubt, but you're not, I think, going to be able to completely destroy their their connections and their, um, you know, relationships inside. Oh, sorry. I was going to, I was going to add something to that. Um, kind of what you're saying earlier about, we're talking about the, you know, the disparity between like metamaterials and other things that are called. So this is what's happening right now is the detractors are basically nitpicking on little words and they're just blowing it up. And I've never seen anything like this in any other form of study. Um, especially, you know, my experience in journalism, um, even like, you know, you see, uh, Brian Benner going after these people on Twitter because he's an actual journalist who covers national security and politics. And I'm pretty sure, you know, some of those topics have even more, um, even more avenues to go down, but yet he's having to defend, um, these things that he probably shouldn't even have to be defending. And a lot of times, you know, in journalism, which is kind of a, um, some people made it. Uh, may not agree with this, but we rely a lot on um, official titles, which isn't necessarily right. a bad thing. But these official official titles, if they're saying something that's not credible, then they're the ones who have to pay for it later. But nothing these people have s- said so far is not credible. Um, so their their titles alone lend them to be trustworthy, and the stuff they've they've been saying it's been backed up. So they're going to find every little thing to nitpick and, and twist to try to fit to try to fit this narrative that. Somehow, Lou Elizondo isn't who he isn't who he he uh, claims to be, or um, whatever other you know theories that they're pushing out, or this is all to push a TV show, which is the dumbest thing I ever heard. So it's just interesting how they're latching on to these little words here and there, and they're just blowing them up. Yeah, to that point, I think that's why they really focus in on and pick on me the most because I am a bit of the runt of the litter. I mean, I have the least credentials. You guys like go at them face forward more uh but uh you know head on but uh i mean i don't have the credentials of a brian bender of a leslie kane of a george knapp but uh but it's bled over because uh, i was i was accusing them of well what you're saying is that leslie's got it wrong george has got it wrong when you're calling into question the quotes that i'm getting from george and leslie then you're calling them into question and now it's kind of become more of a fr- full frontal attack on george and leslie kane as well oh. but um yeah i wanted to hear uh joe uh because you've been you know have deep and heavy in all of this too I mean, the fact that we have Brian Bender going at these people is amazing. I mean, the guy's <laughs> the credibility of a political right. defense writer is is just 
couldn't ask for more to have him involved and he gets down and he gets down in the weeds and goes at these people. But it's like, yeah, if you believe you don't you have to discount George Knapp, Leslie Keane, Ralph Blumendahl, Helene Cooper, Hal Putoff, Eric Davis, all people, uh, Harry Reid, who have talked about working with Elizondo. And it's like, so all those people are lying and we're supposed to believe you. And you said it's weird. Yeah, I don't get it either. I've seen, I mean, I've seen debunkers, so that's that's par for the course. But when people have spent decades researching UFOs, those are the people who are going after Elizondo and TTSA and ATIP. I, I, I don't get it. I don't know if it's ego or it's jealousy. I know Lou touched upon the jealousy and said, there's no reason to have jealousy. We're all looking, we're all striving for the same, same, you know, same thing. We just want to, we want to get the truth. We want to get this information out. And it just, it's just a, it's a drain having to deal with people within the community. It's just a waste of time to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and here's another thing people don't realize that these aren't rogue journalists. They work for organizations that have to vet and approve of every source and everyone they talk to first. So, the editors have to trust their sources, too. So it's not just uh, Knapp and Keen saying, hey, I'm going to do this story. It has to be approved. The sources have to be approved. That's every large um, every large publication operates that way. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah, that, that's what, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the, these aren't some, you know, journalists coming out of the woodworks and they're doing this on their own. No, they're getting approval by their company. And a lot of times, you know, they're working for, obviously they're working for, uh, you know, a news organization is also a corporation. There's corporate interests as well. So I don't think they would be risking potential advertising revenue or, or readership if they didn't think that the story was credible or that the sources are credible. Right. Even, and for, I mean, some, even for a topic like this, which, you know, to the mainstream may be, you know, kind of kind of out there, but still. We've got, you know, Kevin Clore is one of the journalists writing. Uh, of course, he's kind of been uh, very anti to the stars. And I think that Brian Bender has called him out. And I agree. And I think that the problems with his story are more stark for those of us who are in journalism because uh, there were some rules that were broken. I mean, sure, he did get uh, and information from the DOD, from the spokesperson that Sherwood uh, said that, you know, Lou didn't have any responsibilities uh, towards ATIP. That is a, you know, that is something to write about. That's a piece of news. You know, he should be writing an article about that. But the problem with that article, if you look at it in an unbiased way, is to say, well, the spokesperson saying that. However, we have a lot of credible information that says the opposite. So what's the problem here? And writing an article about that is fine. But he totally did not include any of all of this credible information. So he didn't do his due diligence in that article, which is why uh, to a journalist, it obviously has a bias. All of this is what Brian Bender has been calling him out. So let's look at Brian Bender. Brian Bender has no loyalty to any of these people. He's talked about some of his, skeptic- his skepticisms and problems with things. But you're right. He's working for Politico as a defense editor. He has a lot on the line. If he says something that is not that or if even if he's perceived as being biased, he could get in a lot of trouble and it would hurt his credibility. Um, so not only that, when when Bender is talking, at least for me, and you probably feel the same way, Mike, maybe you guys, others, you sit and you listen because you're learning. You're learning how it's done. And he made some great points. You don't go to FOIA. If you're with Politico, for instance, I contacted Sherwood. I've contacted, I've gone to the media uh, inquiry lines to get a hold of these people. That's where you go. You go straight, and that's where they want you to go, to talk to these POA 
or PAO people, you don't put in a FOIA. You put a, a FOIA in uh, when all else fails and you know you're not going to get anything from it for maybe months or years. So uh, you go direct. That's why he, you don't see the FOIAs. So Brian Bender, you're learning this is how journalism is done. Leslie Kane, maybe you can be a little critical of her because she's written a UFO book and she's written about UFOs. But the article was in the New York Times. Like she said, it was well vetted. And New York Times is known for vetting their articles. I mean, even Tyler Rogaway said New York Times uh, just got this stuff handed to him. I, I don't agree with that. They did some work. I interviewed Leslie several times I know and I know her I know the work that they did uh, who's another journalist that's being called out oh George Knapp George Knapp you can cast some doubt on him because he's been writing about paranormal stuff for a long time but at the same time I think that shows that he has even more skills at being credible because he's written about all of this stuff for a long time he's walked that gray line you know putting his credibility at risk but to this day, he has not been called out or has not displayed any overt biasness. Instead, he's written great stories that win awards. He's won so many damn awards, it's crazy. Um, so this is obviously someone who's skilled enough to look at these situations and be uh, uh, credible, uh, you know, report in a credible way. So none of these people, they're all pretty bulletproof, especially when it comes to the goofy people who are the detractors. Um, so, I mean, like you say, the credibility weighs heavily on the side of, of these credible journalists. And, you know, uh, let me jump in real quick. And here's the thing people don't, another people don't realize too, is that just because you have expertise does not mean it lends to a bias. Just because, um, Leslie Keene's written books on UFOs doesn't mean there's a perceived bias right. in her writing the story. If you look at the New York Times story, I even, you know, I interviewed Ralph Blumenthal. I was, you know, I was going to ask about the, that quote they have to show balance from the, uh, the Harvard physicist, which is an awful quote. But they <laughs> threw that in there to show balance in the story. It wasn't just here's what these uh, th these pilots saw. They threw in a counter quote to kind of you know maintain that balance. And you know the the story uh, that story came about because they saw a screener of to the um, of unidentified unidentified the to the stars and say, hey, here's an advanced screener. Go do your own work. They decided to do that on their own. And what Ralph said to me was, makes sense. There's, there's plenty of room in the paper to do a review or an entertainment story on it. Those are totally two totally different things. So, you know, the show and those, that article was separate. I think a lot of people fail to realize, you know, they want to make these connections where it's just some huge corporate conspiracy. And, you know, Brian Bender's appearing on television because Politico allows him to. Do you think exactly. how much money do you think he's how much money, if any, do you think he's he's seeing from being on that show? Not, not a lot. Yeah, yeah, not a lot. We gotta take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and talk more about these topics. So I'm with Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs, Joe Murgia of UFO Joe, and uh, Danny Silva of the Silver Record, and uh, we'll be right back here listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. Welcome back to Open Minds UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have a superstar and at least for me, dream team panel here talking about uh, 
the Unidentified Television Show and, of course, the organizations affiliated with it, including ATIP and To the Stars, uh, ATIP being the, the secretive Pentagon program. I like to use the term secretive because it wasn't necessarily classified as secret uh, or all of it. So it, it was, I like the term that the media seems to have picked up also as secretive. But uh, we've got uh, Joe DeMonte here of uh, Punk Rock and UFOs. We've got Joe Mergiat, who uh, runs the website UFO Joe. And we've got Danny Silver of The Silver Record. So, Danny, we were just talking about, you know, kind of the detractors and uh, some of the heavy hitters that they're, they're going against. And quite frankly, they're looking kind of uh, shabby against. Uh, what is your take? Because you've been in there as well. Um. You know, first off, I think we just need to keep in mind that there's so many crazy details and um, with all of this stuff with ATIP and OSAP and all of us that have been following it this whole time, uh, at least since 2017, you know, we're still fuzzy on certain details. And um, so no one's going to be right 100% of the time. <clears throat> the only person that's been there from the beginning, really, that's a reporter, is George Knapp. Um, so he's, to me, he's the uh, the most credible person. Um you know, so you can pick apart um, anything that, uh, you know, the New York Times or even political says if it's a tiny little detail. Um, but they get the, the general story right, but then they, they, they probably did also make some errors. But then you look over at the other side of it, um, and these guys are making massive, huge errors. They're saying it's aviation for, you know, a year and a half and, and doing all these other things. So, um, you know, uh, there's there's errors going around. Um for everyone so i just think that we need to keep that in mind yeah that's a great point and a great point is i think along those lines george knapp has been here the longest i mean he has sat on a lot of this information and finally able to release a lot of information which i know he's ecstatic about uh you know as journalists that's what we love to do is share the information with the public he has been proven been proven accurate time and time again uh, and so is Lou. And really, from the beginning, even with Lou Elizondo, he made claims that the uh, DOD countered. And, you know, there's always nuances. And so I think we kind of all waited to hear what the DOD would say or what would come to light. George has been there to verify lots of Lou's claims, which uh, over time have also been verified by the DOD. And they've had to change their story which to those of us in the, who have followed UFO stories, it's not surprising because we've seen this over the years. They had to do this with Stephenville, uh, a very famous sighting. They had to do this with the, the incredible sighting in 2008 at, at Chicago O'Hare. So we've seen this over and over again before. So it's not too surprising. And you know who has taught me? The best teacher to show me that the uh, these public affairs offices are typically get it wrong uh, and has demonstrated it and just slam dunked and in the face of the PAO offices has showed they've been wrong over and over again, John Greenwald of the Black Vault. But for some reason, when it comes to this story, after years, I've interviewed him. You can go back and listen to my podcast with him. We've had so many over this very topic, and he's like, I don't know why they're lying to me. I don't know why they're giving me wrong information. But in this case, he's the guy not only that is backing the DOD. Every time they say something, he's like, oh, they've got it right and Lou's got it wrong, and he's been wrong every time. But he also um, is the guy that the DOD's been going to first. Why are they giving 
John information. They're not giving it to me. They're not even giving it to George or others a lot of the time. Instead, they're going to John first. In fact, I knew this. I even said this, I think, on a show. When the DOD has to change their story about the FLIR videos that they did release them, I'll bet they'll release them to John first, and there'll be a spin already pre-prepared. And, of course, they did, and they had this ridiculous spin that was just... I feel that we blew out of the water in seconds. Yeah, and I, I think when they get things wrong, and I hear Lou talk about it, it's they talk about it being a giant bureaucracy, bureaucracy, and it's just one hand not knowing what the other hand is doing. And I've had Eric Davis tell me that too. But then you know, so it's like you know, nothing nefarious going on there. But then you hear what you just said, and they're purposely going to somebody who's negative against all this, and they're going to Greenwald first. It makes you think that there's more to it than just bureaucracy. Right. Yeah, this kind of goes to, um, I think it was, I think Tom I think Tom said this months ago, um, I think before this even all started, that how there is this kind of infighting, this war kind of within the Pentagon about this. And this could obviously be, you know, an, a concerted effort to try to muddy the waters, is having somebody say, you know what, this side's trying to get this out, and it's going to get out, but let's, you know, let's throw a, a, a wrench in it. Mm-hmm. Well, Bender even uh, tweeted, I think yesterday, that Lou has more enemies in, on the inside than he has allies. And uh, we know, and, and, you know, Lou even admitted this at the be at the, because he doesn't like to talk bad about anybody on the inside, but that there were people who did not like him coming forward with all of this information. He says that a lot of them have changed their tune now that they've seen it's been uh, positively received by the public, but that uh, there were a lot that were upset. And I can see this from the public affairs department. I can see how they would be like, hey, man, you know, you're on our team and here you are out outing all of this stuff. We're being totally caught off guard. Now we've got to answer questions about UFOs and we're not ready for this. You could have given us a heads up. But uh, I think if you see it from Lou's perspective, if he would have given them a heads up, they might have ran to their bosses to try to shut up Lou, and uh, that would have created more problems. So, uh, you know, in order to get this information out, which is what we've all been striving for for years, it had to go down this way. The DOD's not happy about it, but uh, they've really got to dummy up. They've just got to, you know, deal and quit undermining their own credibility by countering it and then having to correct their statements later on. That's how I feel. <laughs> and I remember early on, Lou said he got death threats from people right. inside the Pentagon. So I mean, that's yeah. some people are obviously even more more than just upset if you're giving if you're making death threats against them. Right, right. So let's get into the show. Uh, last night's show, which uh, episode two of Unidentified. I've read at least Joe some of what you've written about the episode. I want to start off with Danny, if that's all right. Uh, what did you think of the show last night? Maybe you feel free to get into details. Spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> um, I, I liked it. The, the first two episodes, they've seemed to be uh, more for people that um, aren't up on the, um, on the details of the story like we are. So the general public and even just people in the UFO community that aren't up on, uh, on the TTSA stuff. Um, my favorite thing, and I wrote a blog about it, was that... Uh, the ATIP uh, hotspot map. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, and it, it was um, had a lot of Easter eggs for us to kind of go back and look at. Um, but other than that, you know, they're they're digging into this Catalina hotspot thing. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they put out there, um, you know, that maybe it could be our tech, um, 
or at least they didn't deny it. You know? Right. Um, they kind of, yeah, they showed both sides of the story, so I thought that was pretty fair of them. They made a strong argument, I think, by the end, especially that it could be our tech, which was interesting and fair. Um, but uh, yeah, Joe, what did what did uh, you think? I, I agree, and it's it's funny with the timing because we know Tyler Rogaway of, of The Drive has written a couple articles that highly suggests that it may be our tech in 2004 and, and the 2014-2015 incidents. So I took some notes. Bender called uh, the secret test of our tech a reasonable hypothesis, possible that Elizondo didn't know about it. Uh, the female wingman said maybe they were vectored into a live range and the object under the water was maybe a sub. Uh, Elizondo said that there were Antenna arrays connected to government activity that maybe played a role in the 2004 events. And then he said, we can't rule out that we have tech to achieve those hypersonic speeds. Uh, and then Justice said, hypersonic craft want to travel above 5,000 feet. The Tic Tac went down to sea level. So that was kind of against the hour tech argument. But then Justice at the end, he said that it's possible it's black budget tech. But if so, somebody would know that you're operating near that area where they were doing the exercise. It, but if an admiral was in charge and didn't make a report, it could be because it was an operational text test. Not everybody gets to know everything. So I was I was surprised they went there. I mean, I didn't expect that. Mm -hmm. I still think that probably they don't believe that, and they're just saying those things to be fair. Um, you know, you hear some of the interviews and um, with Chris Mellon and Lou and. Uh, they really don't seem to believe that angle, but they did play it up in the show. And mm -hmm. then when um, Alejandro interviewed um, LePay, what's his first name? The, the, the Anthony. showrunner? Anthony LePay, he said that he spoke to Justice on and off the record, which I thought was interesting. And he said basically, yeah, the technology that they saw is so much far, it's, it's beyond anything that he worked on as far as propulsion systems. So that's the other argument that it's not ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike? Yeah, I was going to say, whether they believe that or not, it's still pretty, I think it's it's good that they include those those other perspectives in the show, because the show does come across as a very credible um, arg argument to make, you know, uh, regarding the subject. Like, you know, I talk about this stuff with my friends and uh, my fiance all the time, but like last night she watched the episode with me and she was glued to the TV just because like the way it's presented. They do a really good job of presenting this um, very down the middle. Um, obviously, their opinions may be different. But they do try to try to at least present an alternative argument um, that I think will keep um, mainstream viewers interested. You know, it's not um, like it's ancient aliens where it's, you know, mostly um, one side of the, the argument. They, they are providing you know, these alternative solutions, whether they believe them or not. And I think that's a good thing. You know what I uh, I was really impressed with with that side of their investigation is that they covered like there have obviously been people out there doing the same thing. Um, Tyler Rogaway, I think, is probably one of the most skilled because he just writes about defense for the drive uh, war zone. And he, like you said, wrote up that whole thing. He's written a couple things. First about how these radars came in line uh, online in 2004 and 2015. Uh, I would argue the technology, of course, that we would have would be vastly different between 2004 and 2015. That's kind of one issue with that idea, I think. But... He also brought up how this is a testing zone, the Catalina Island area. It's a huge uh, oceanic kind of area where there's airspace and underwater military testing that goes on, uh, which is a really great point. Uh, also, which is why you see those radars and, and antenna arrays on Catalina. But also uh, that the uh, 
well, just about all this testing and everything, but I thought it was great. Oh, the missile, the, the missile test that they covered as well. But what's cool is that they, on their own, doing their own research, had made the same discoveries that Tyler Rogaway, the seasoned defense writer, had discovered as well. So I think it just showed that they did some really good work, uh, which they should, I mean, with the crew that they have, uh, researching what the potential, uh, you know, more mundane uh, answers could be. I think that it showed that they did a really good job. They answered Rogaway's questions and others, which I doubt Rogaway was expecting, and some of these others who thought, man, I really got a scoop here. I really picked up on something that I'm sure they didn't. Well, they did pick up on that, and we saw that. Not to mention the TV show was probably recorded last year before a lot of these articles came out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, you guys probably remind, remember this because we probably all retweeted it when Lou retweeted uh, you know, a few images, I think maybe To the Stars did. I don't remember. Lou doesn't have a Twitter. What am I talking about? But it was probably <laughs> To the Stars where, you know, where it showed Tom and him off doing adventures and stuff. Uh, this was probably like a year ago. And now we know this was part of the show. So you're right. They shot this stuff a long time ago. A lot of stuff that they've been shooting was before the show even exists. Um, some of the footage in the first episode was from when Tom took a camera with him to uh, the very first one of the very first times he went to the White House, which was initially supposed to be the Secret Machines documentary film. Mm. That's a really good point. So Tyler Rogaway's article, and this is a tough one. Um, I think that there's the whole Bigelow side. He really needs to look into uh, the history of Bigelow and how his investigations and how To the Stars is very much a continuation of like Bigelow's National Institute of Discovery Sciences and and Bass, which was uh, you know a partner with ATIP. We can even see that in the name. Uh, Bass is the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced uh, what weapons or no systems space, space, space studies. yeah space, space studies. studies. Yeah. But it's still got that terminology uh, in there that's similar to ATIP and, and these other organizations. But, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the same players, uh, Hal and Davis, for example, uh, Colm Kelleher was uh, one of the scientists for who still works for Bigelow Aerospace, was uh, with To The Stars. And then uh, you have some new people that are in there. But Tyler Rogaway kind of uh, was taking this this angle and I did address this with Lou that, uh, you know, Tom got a lot of cooperation with the military and that, you know, this all could be like a big propaganda thing for the military to make them look good, which is kind of the angle Tom took to them that in all this UFO stuff, you guys are looking like the villain. Uh, that shouldn't be the case. I want to help change that. Uh, however, what Lou said is it's ridiculous to say that we're kind of being pulled by the nose, but that uh, we are cooperating because it would be silly of us not to cooperate uh, to work with them. And uh, obviously the Navy has been very cooperative with coming up with UFO protocols and then also allowing these pilots to be on the show. What do you, what do you guys think of that? I'm kind of still digesting it. Um, I think it's funny that a lot of fans of To The Stars want to believe that to the stars is basically a, another arm of the government. They want that, and yeah. then the detractor, the detractors look at that, and they say that's a huge, horrible, bad thing. So it's kind of funny that um, how everyone looks at that that particular uh, theory uh, differently. Yeah, and and I I'm not 
Mr. UFO history, but I was reading up on, I found an article in the New York Times, it was in the, I, think it was in the, I think it was in the 80s, but they were talking about NICAP, and NICAP had a ton of former government people working with them. And I don't know, Alejandro, if you know history, but were they facing the same uh, criticism as far as people who used to work for the government working for them? Because to me, it's like, yeah, there are people in our government and intelligence agencies that are interested interested in this subject. So it's like, that's that's I would expect that. So now that they're interested and they're actually helping push this topic along and and actually we're open to along helping them get this information out. I, I my first response is not that it's some nefarious behind the scenes program where they're trying to trying to push disinformation disinformation on us. I'm happy they're involved. Like like Danny said, yeah, TTS folk TTS people who support TTSA are happy that they're helping push this story out. Whether or not there's disinfo, I have not seen anything that set my alarm bells off that said, you know, that's that's really pushing it. I don't believe that. It's been so basic so far. It's been basically unidentified objects in our airspace. We don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. I think you're right in that NICAP there's a total difference between then and now. Back then, everybody was patriotic and it was good to see the government and military as being good and helpful and doing positive things. Not like it is now where it's kind of the trend to see the government as evil and bad and anything that they're touching has got to be uh, some sort of, of nefarious type of, of thing. So that's the difference. Now, NICAP, even in that environment, was criticized for that. But uh, even, you know, one of their consultants who is an admiral, uh, Hilling Code Hillen Cotter, he uh, he even you know kind of got conspiratorial with the Air Force and was saying, which was accurate, that the Air Force was spinning this um, when they actually take it more seriously. But then as time went on, you know, Hillen Cotter left the group, and then people started saying he was part of the conspiracy and he's part of MJ12. So they dealt with that; uh, they did have that, but not to the degree that you would now. So it's really interesting and strange, yeah, to see how people are handling this. Um, I think, and I think Bender has talked along these lines, at least to me, what Lou expressed seems accurate. They, and you can see this through the history of Bigelow Aerospace and the different groups. They have been pushing to research this topic and to make it more credible throughout the years, trying to work with uh, inside organizations, and that now they've just got more, uh, more of that going on than ever before, mostly because of, you know, connections be that Mellon and Justice and Lou have um, that they definitely want to work with their partners on the inside. Uh, that doesn't mean that I, I think they're driving the narrative. I think To the Stars is, is driving the narrative because uh, you guys follow this very closely and that's what it appears to be. That's what we see is To the Stars looking at something, not being told to look somewhere, but you know they're the ones prodding. I don't think the government wants us to look at crash retrieval projects or any of this sort of thing. And the DOD um, public affairs office is obviously not happy about all of this. Uh, what do you think, Joe? All right. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're thrilled about, I would think they're not thrilled about crash retrieval programs, assuming that, assuming they even know about that stuff. It's not so yeah. black budget. They don't even know, but as far as, you know, I said, I don't think there's anything as far as conspiratorial or something related to disinformation. But when when DeLong talks about some of the stuff he was told 
you know, it's so fear-based, some of it early on when he would talk about it. that mm-hmm. stuff, maybe, maybe they're putting out that, that story because Kit Green has spoken about how the way they get information out is they tell this really outlandish, scary story and it gets people all frightened. But then when the truth comes out, it's something a lot less prosaic. It's not prosaic, but it's, it's a lot less scarier. And it's people like, oh, that's the truth. Okay, the other story was really scary. I could handle this. So it's kind of like the technique they use. And I don't know if that's what went on with DeLong, but I don't know what you guys think. But some of the stuff he talked about was was almost all fear-based. Yeah, and I'm, I wasn't a fan of that, the whole threat narrative, but I could see why they'd use that threat narrative to get other people in the government uh, to get their attention. Uh, because then it goes beyond just, you know, um, UFOs then. Then it becomes that there's something, you know, like they've said before, there's something in our sky, we don't know what it is, and we can't control it. So I guess by that definition, yes, it is a threat. But as long as you're not pushing the whole evil alien agenda, I'm fine with it. No, I agree. I agree. I, I have no problem with the threat because I know they have to use that to get funding and get the interest of certain people in Congress. But as long as as long as some of that scary stuff isn't brought up again, because DeLong doesn't talk about it anymore and it hasn't been brought up by anybody else into the stars. So I'm good as long as they don't bring that up again. Of, co- of course, maybe that's the truth. I don't know. I don't know really. What's, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the, what's going on behind with the phenomena. I mean, who knows? Maybe there is a really negative aspect to this we all i mean we've all talked about it we've all considered it i kind of uh you know i just sit here and i listen to those guys and i feel like they really know what they're talking about eric davis also um you know um mentioned that i think recently to you alejandro um that you know nothing good has came out of this um then there is you know a whole um series of people that that say it's uh it's totally positive but um i, I just kind of sit out on that one and then I, I just listen to to the stars and all these other people and if lou and tom are saying it then i just figure they know what they're talking about you know and and there's something to the nature of what they're sharing so for example the majority of to the stars is sharing what they're finding uh in their research and investigation so people like lou chris mellon steve justice uh are more careful, uh, Hal Putoff, who barely ever talks publicly, they're more careful about what they're saying. However, others, like Davis, Davis is getting, uh, uh, he's willing to share rumors, um, which is fair, you know, he's an educated um, person, he, he's he's capable of, of sharing what is more credible, and, it, and I think we should pay attention to what Davis has said. And then you've got Tom, and Tom is not only sharing rumors, he's sharing his personal opinions and his own uh, assumptions or, or skeptic or, uh, you know, kind of his what he thinks is going on by putting his connecting his own dots. So it's less uh, based on on research. But that also, I think, makes Tom more susceptible to uh, putting forth messages that are that he's given to put forth. So he would be more susceptible to possibly putting out information that, you know, insiders may want out. So that's kind of one thing that he's got to be careful with, too. But that means uh, of all the people, you got to take his information with a little more grain of salt uh, because it's also his interpretation uh, of what things are going on and what role they want him to play. I think one indication where he may have gotten it wrong was in those WikiLeaks when uh, John Podesta had that uh, had arranged that meeting, and it was McCaslin, I believe, who 
uh, we got you saw this email from Tom right after their meeting that said, hey, McCaslin was saying he was uh, skeptical in that meeting, but he's not as skeptical as he alluded to. So that just shows that maybe uh, Tom uh, misinterpreted some of what McCaslin had told him uh, earlier or maybe even went too far in sharing more than McCaslin wanted to share. But uh, the point being that uh, there's levels of credibility or with all of the sourcing of this information. And people change their mind over time. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. And we don't know. Some of these guys, you know, generals and, and otherwise, they have opinions, too, that aren't necessarily based in what they know, but what they believe to be true. So that's the other side. But I think you all have great points. And one great point that you all make is when people talk about this narrative, they're pushing a, a, a negative narrative that fits their agenda, um, is that Davis... Uh, has been around for a long time. So if he's sharing that, he believes that there's uh, this isn't good, that he believes there's aliens and the, his findings are that they're they're not nice, then, um, then you know, this is based off of years and years of, of gathering information. So, But like you said, who knows what the truth is? And you know what we have coming up? And uh, let's talk about this next is these... Uh, you know, negative experiences that happened in Brazil that I, I think they're going to cover in the show. No, oh, I didn't really? know that. Were... Oh. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I'm looking forward to that then big time because uh, I think Colaris is one of the most amazing uh, cases. Can you summarize and... it kind of uh, and summarize well, that case um, a bit for us? I, I don't know if I can. I'll try, though. Um, basically, over what was it, like a month or something like that. I'll probably get some facts wrong here. Um, and... Uh, Basically, um, UFOs just kept coming uh, and visiting um, various areas of Brazil. Um, it wasn't just Claris Island. Uh, Valet was the main um, investigator on this after the fact. Um, it happened so much that the Brazilian military was called in. Um, also, the um, a lot of journalists were called in. Um, what I find really interesting is how Pudoff and other people keep bringing it up. Um, Pudoff says that um, you know, I think there was like 14 or 16 hours of footage. Uh, there's data, there's everything. Um, various people have also, uh, investigated it. I've been, I'm, I've been doing a deep dive on this, um, actually, and I'm planning to come out with a blog about it, but, um, there's also, um, you know, uh, facts basically that say that, uh, um, Bass and, uh, Bigelow later on went and investigated it, um, and kind of took it uh, on, a, on a different angle. Um, also, one thing that seems to legit happen was people died, maybe like 10 or 12. Um, people were getting shot with beams of light, um, just the craziest things that you'll ever hear. Um, I have no idea why there hasn't been some big movie about it. It seems like it'd be some, like a really huge blockbuster, but I don't know if this is a uh, something they're trying to put out there more. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know Unidentified was going to cover that, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know it for 100%, but I'm pretty sure. But, yeah, go ahead. Did you others want to add to that? Nope, he's got it. Um, you know, it's like it's just weird that that kind of stuff happened in Brazil, and we don't have anything really close to that here. I mean, mm -hmm. we have... We have people, you know, cast Landrum, but that was, you know, that seemed like a side effect, like... You know, from the from the technology, it didn't right. seem like it was an overt attack like in Brazil. But so, I mean, if they're going to cover that negative 
case, that kind of stuff, they should try to, I don't know if they're going to cover anything positive because there are people that claim, first of all, you got the abductees in the free report, which is almost all positive experiences. And then you have, then you have people saying that they were healed with their UFO encounters, people healed of cancer, that pets, you know, on the brink of death coming back. So it's like, there's positive stuff too. I don't know if, is, is unidentified just going to focus on the negative aspect of this? I've been told that there was other similar incidents to Calaris around the world, and uh, we just don't know about them. So um, I find that pretty interesting. Well, we know they're going to cover Rendlesham, and uh, I did ask Lou about that, and I even you know, added that, hey, you know, in the New York Times it said you were testing, looking at people who had physical effects from encounters. Is that the aspect you're, you're going to cover in Rendlesham? And he kind of sidestepped it and said uh, you're going to have to wait to see in the episode but he didn't deny it to me i think they are going to go there with rendlesham and uh, of course the guys there feel they had negative effects from their encounters with uh these objects i don't know if they'll even go into you know burrows fighting for va medical uh benefits uh, related to this encounter and uh, heart issues he's had that he believes stem from this issue uh something that was speculated in a uk uh, document called the Condine Report uh, that uh, he felt was helped him get his uh, VA funding. But they there were weird things that happened to his medical and his service records that uh, he had to get help from the office of John McCain to correct. And uh, finally, he did get his VA benefits. I've got interviews with him and his lawyer on, on this when that happened. But um, that may be the angle they cover. Uh, we'll have to see. But what's interesting is, you know, Danny, you've written about this. I think we've all kind of uh, kept an eye on this is this whole project that's gone on where uh, at least Gary Nolan is uh, out of Stanford. It's kind of looking at people who have paranormal experiences to determine why is there something in their DNA or their brain or what's going on here. And Eric Davis even admitted he was one of their guinea pigs and he gave them samples. So it's amazing work. Kit Green is involved. Um, I don't pretend to understand it all. It's yeah. kind of hard for me to talk about <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, you know, they that was put out there for a reason. And uh, I think it's really important. And now that it's out there in the public realm, people can build on it. I, I think, Alejandro, you, you sold yourself a little short because Lou actually did kind of give you a good answer. He said you'll see, quote, a comprehensive picture of the effects on our men and women women in uniform that this that this phenomenon has that may include even medical effects. So I'm really looking forward to seeing who they spoke to about that, if it's not just Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Back to the Claris thing, um, how Putoffs uh, told George Knapp last year on Coast to Coast that um, To the Stars was going to be trying to get some of this video and data and put it out. And um, I actually asked him about it. And he told me everything that they're doing with that right now is going to be in the show. That would be amazing. That's but probably however, where I got it. I remember seeing yeah. them. But however, though, I wasn't I wasn't sure if he meant that everything with Calaris would be in the show or just everything, all the information they're trying to put out was going to be in the show and not including Calaris. So I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But you've got a great point. So is it, it is that the aspect they're going to cover Rendlesham in? Maybe. Uh, they maybe even cover Day, because Day, of course, has said he feels he's had some emotional um, effects from the whole encounter. Uh, right. You know, Fravor, unfortunately, in Oregon, made fun of that a bit, it seems. That's why I wanted 
Lou to go on the record uh, saying that he backs Day. And yeah, we wanted to get into that. So we'll get into that now, I guess. But um, that uh, and, and, you know, that's genuine. I, I think that it looks bad for Fravor to make fun of especially any military guys affecting PTSD. I mean, my degree was in industrial and uh, psychology uh and, and it covers those sort of things. But uh, there could be a number of reasons. You don't even have to have the experience personally to experience PTSD from it. So, um, But an experience where your, uh, your job is to look and understand what all the aircraft are in your arena. And, you know, you're uh, hypersensitive to that, as Day seems to be. I think that was reflected in the show uh, last night. Kevin Day was part of it. You know, uh, that would be shocking if uh, you see this crazy stuff going on on your radar screens and then you, you know, send some jets in, which is interesting, too, that Fravor in the show did admit that the Princeton did, uh, you know, zero them in or at least send them to go uh, look at the Tic Tac. And uh, and I could see how someone would be affected that, you know, you Nobody knows what this is, and you've got this giant secret that there's these crazy things flying around, and, and you know, you can't talk to anybody or nobody takes it seriously. That would be world-changing. Well, th- that makes me wonder if Fravor is aware of some of the stuff that Kevin Day has said um, outside of the emotional aspect to it. When I did my interview with him, he kind of alluded to um, heightened senses of abilities, which was kind of weird considering he wasn't, you know – abducted or or you know i mean isn't a quote-unquote experiencer so it'd be be, it's kind of weird that kevin has these claims of you know without having you know these experiences that others have to kind of have some of the same reaction and i'm not discrediting you know what he said at all because i you know i really appreciate him coming forward so it's just interesting if forever knows uh forever knows anything about that or is you know you know just kind of making comments on you know, like you said, like the the PTSD thing, which would be kind of be a really bad look. I think it was a really bad look. It was the worst. When I was when I was listening to that, I was so mad that he was doing that because I met I met all the guys down at UFO MegaCon, and Kevin's a great guy. You know, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what he's going through, but to just even bring up PTSD at all was just like you said, it's such a bad look. Why even go there? Just don't even talk about it. And the other thing is like. You know, we have we have PJ Hughes who said his his data bricks were confiscated. I totally 100% believe him. He said there's other witnesses. He mentioned Roger, who actually had to sign NDAs. And then Jason Turner, to me, is a really important witness. He claims there was a, a ten, seven to ten minute video of the Tic Tac, and he says there are other people in the room that saw it, and he's not going to name them because he wants to leave it up to them. Obviously, if they don't want to come forward, if that's true, I mean. That's that's a huge thing. I mean, and I know Fraber said, "Nope, this is it. This is the only video." So hopefully, in the future, we see more witnesses. But but you know, they need to com- feel comfortable coming forward. What won't help that is somebody like Fraber saying, making you know, poking fun at PTSD, and basically, he's basically calling these guys liars. And that's if I'm a witness, I'm like, you know what? And I see that I'm not coming forward. I don't I don't need that in my life. I don't need to be called a liar. So I'm just going to shut up. That's a great point. One of the things I'm looking back actually right now in my interview a day, and one of the things um, that he's was all of a sudden privy to is the idea of uh, human post effects. And his quote he said to me was concerning human post effects of what might happen when seven billion people are suddenly smarter, more present, are able to heal and can manifest things. So it's pretty interesting with someone with no prior knowledge to this, um, you know, has a sighting and is able to kind of read up on it to kind of 
you know, uh, learn about just the, you know, besides the, the nuts and bolts of a UFO sighting. So I commend Kevin for that about, you know, kind of reading up on Jacques Millet and Eric Davis and all those, you know, because he knows the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what happens over time is memory does change. Our memory is certainly very fallible, especially, you know, even um, after something happens, you know, the longer time goes exponentially, we begin to forget and even get false memories. Our memory is malleable where it can be influenced by things that we hear late later on. And that's why I'm really careful with witnesses because, uh, you know, I, it's just hard especially something that happened 15 years ago that you're going to remember all the details accurately and you could innocently be remembering things wrong. There's been so many studies around this. So we don't know uh, what influences have happened that maybe uh, or things that are being, um, you know, connected to that experience that actually aren't connected to that experience. So we don't know. But I think that uh, for me, that Lou put it really well when he answered my question. He said, Fravor knows what he knows. They knows what he knows. You know, they were in two different places. So even, you know, when I first asked Lou about this, he said, I don't ask them what they know about things they don't directly experience because I don't care. All I want to know is what did you deal with? What did you see? What is your firsthand experience? Which I thought was a great response because that makes sense. I mean, that's where they would be the authority on their firsthand experiences, not what someone else is doing. And you hear Lou often saying, I don't know. I wasn't there. Ask him. Ask them. You know, I don't know. Why are you asking me what someone else did? Um, so uh, that makes a lot of sense. And in this case, you know, Day has his firsthand experience uh, and uh, Fravor has his. But... Uh, the other witnesses, yeah, this whole, what we saw on the show last night, this tic-tac or this object that went under the water and then traveled at these incredible speeds, that was uh, kind of a holy caca moment, uh, I feel, probably for a lot of people in this show. And it's funny, uh, uh Jeremy Corbell interviewed a witness who was who says he was there, uh, Trevor, and um, he basically said it went under the water. So it's not it's not just one person. It's not just Gary Voorhees saying that. I know he heard it. He said he heard it from a sonar tech, um, and that same witness said he saw a different type of video where it was actually UFO shaped, like flying saucer. So I don't know. Maybe hopefully we'll hear we'll hear from Trevor one day. Maybe he'll be in the show because Jeremy. Corbell alluded to, he didn't say that. He said, just pay attention. He, he brought it up again. Just remember what this person said. I don't know if it was in reference to what Gary Voorhees found out about as far as underwater, the um, sonar contact, or if Trevor's going to be on the show. Yeah, they might I be. I don't think he is. I don't think Trevor is on no. the show, but I, I could be remembering wrong. Um, I did want to say that, you know, Lou has kind of uh, stuck to the facts as far as kevin day's experience um you guys may know better than me for off the record comments but uh he hasn't spoken about um that i've heard about anything that happened after the uh the nimitz encounters um to the guys personally uh i also thought it was really interesting that they included uh gary Voorhees' story about how the uh the data was taken um right you know that's been that's been denied by some other people but they put it in um they put it in the show. One other thing I can clear up a little bit is, uh, 
you know, George Knapp's gotten a little bit of flack because he was the one interviewing um, Fravor, and uh, he made that comment that, you know, the stories are BS. I can tell you that that isn't George Knapp's opinion. He was reporting, and, and it sound, kind of sounds like it when you listen to it, but uh, he was reporting what um, Fravor was saying. So it was more of a quote of Fravor, and uh, George Knapp was, you know, basically just being a journalist and trying to get him to comment on what he was saying. There's some insight there, too, because the way George asked the question, and I know this got some people upset. Joe, you got upset. I think I told you because I was there, and, uh, you know, immediately I go up there, and George is all excited, and we're like little schoolgirls. He's like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And we're talking about all the stuff that he talked about and the questions and even more that Fravor had told them offline. But uh, so we were all excited about it and, you know, geeking out on all of this. But he did something, it's kind of like, I can't remember the name, it's, it's kind of like mirroring. So in other words, where you portray the sentiment of the person you're interviewing so that you are trying to get them there again. So essentially, Fravor at some point expressed to George in the way that George was expressing to him what he had felt about the other witnesses. And George was trying to get him back there to express, you know, honestly in front of this crowd what he had expressed to George earlier. So George is asking the question in the manner those answers were given him to try to elicit that same, you know, kind of response from Fravor, which it did. Um, I don't know. You know, in a way, I'm not sure it was completely fair, but uh, to be honest, because uh, it would have been fair to challenge Fravor on the spot there, uh I think that would have been fair for the other witnesses if someone would have done that. but uh, And that didn't happen. They kind of moved on to other topics because there was so much more to talk about. But uh, um, the one, the primary witness that, of course, Jeremy and George have talked to is Fravor. So a lot of what they uh, are collecting or seeing is kind of uh, influenced by Fravor's input. You know what I mean? All right, I know, and you know, I don't think either one of them spoke with any of the four witnesses at MegaCon. So, um, yeah, their only witness that they spoke to, I believe, is Fravor, and Jeremy spoke to some other people. But I, I, I understand that's what George's intention was, but that's to me, that's not how it came across. So I said, you know what? Maybe it's just me. So I took it and I played it for a friend, and she's like, no, that's not that's not how it sounds. It sounds like he's calling it bullshit and BS. Sorry, <laughs> but. You know, I, you know, I tr- George has got the track record, so I, I, I believe that wasn't his intention. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice. I would love to have those guys. I think would love to meet with Fravor and talk about it. And I'd love to be able to see if they can, you know, hash it out and talk about stuff because he wasn't obviously wasn't on the prints and he couldn't he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. I know he thinks that a lot of stuff would have come to him, but as PJU said, there's some stuff that he knew that. There's no, there's no way Fravor would know about it unless he was read into something. It was so classified. Like the Databricks, they were very classified. And unless Fravor had a need to know, he wouldn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And just for the record, you know, George has, um, he interviewed Kevin Day on Coast to Coast. He promoted Dave Beatty, the Nimitz Encounters on Coast to Coast. So I just wanted to mention that too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, George is human. Um, so, and he's gathering information just like we are. And uh, it's helpful that people are grabbing information from other angles. But, uh, yeah, because I had talked to him about this. And, and I know uh, afterwards, 
uh, others had talked to him about this too. So he got uh, more education, I think, afterwards uh, on all of this as well. So who knows what he thinks now? He may think, I'm sure he does think something totally different because we're all learning as we go here. So uh, we've gone quite a bit over, but I want to give you all a chance to talk about any other items you want to talk about. So why don't we go around and uh, maybe let's start with uh, Joe. Is there something else you want to bring up that uh, to the group? Uh, let's see. Uh, I would love, I really was amazed that when Christopher Mellon was on Fox Radio, he brought some the guy brought up the guy brought up area 51 the interviewer and Mellon talked about how there's eight members of congress stipulated by law it's section 119 of title 10 and no danny i have not looked it up yet i would love to i actually want to read that but yeah. he said and the, if they ask a question about even the most secretive SA, sap programs they're entitled to a straight answer from the department of defense but then he says he says yeah they're entitled to a straight answer in theory and I just thought it was I'm like, he's bringing up in theory, he put that in there and it's like, yeah, they should be able to get information, but I don't think that's the way it works on some of these programs. And that's when I thought about some of the SAP crash retrieval bodies programs. Yeah. You know, that, that Greer has talked about, Mitchell's talked about, and that the Eric Davis leak it's mentioned with Admiral Wilson, that even Admiral Wilson couldn't get this information. So it, it, it kind of like, to me, I thought, I thought that, and I know I'm, I'm just, I'm extrapolating here. I'm make, I'm speculating, and that's what Mellon was getting at. But he he seemed to have it ready that he was talking about Section 119 and the most secretive, sensitive SAPs. I don't know what you guys think, but to me that was that was really interesting. One of the most interesting aspects of this past week, which was an amazing week for us. Uh, I was was crazy. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Danny. Go ahead. I was just saying it's it's. I agree. It's crazy. It was really crazy. It was a historic comment, really. Yeah, what, what I'll add to that, and that's what I, this will be my talking point, um, what I want to end with. Um, I think it's interesting, too, to see going forward uh, which current uh, senators are going to, you know, um, you know we're going to see who are the ones who are read in, or even with the upcoming elections, just to see who's interested in this topic besides Andrew Yang, obviously. Um, but just to see some of the incoming, uh, you know, incoming freshman members of the House, just to see how much they know and what their interest is. Because I think, you know, even though this is the start, you know, the, the, the conversations and potentially could lead to congressional hearings and people being read in. I think this is the start of it, but at the same time, I think it's not going to be a priority going into 2020, but I think it's it's a start, which is still good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to say, and I, I Danny's kind of uh, written some stuff down this route, I know, uh, is that two things, that Chris Mellon, I think he knew it so well because that was part of his job. Uh, right. w- when he was uh, doing this stuff in the White House. So it, I think it probably would have even been his job. Hey, we want to know this. Go find it out. So what Chris Mellon knows is people may or may not share it with them. And if they have some uh, inkling of, of a notion that something's going on that's not being shared with them, that means they're going to have to go to battle and say, no, we want this information and then fight the fight to get it and maybe not get it. Who knows, you know, how these battles might go on in the background. But that, yeah, like he says, they should share it. But uh, who knows if they will. We might have to go to bat to to try to get it. Or we might just say, all right, I guess we're we're screwed. We're not going to get the answers. But um, another interesting thing uh, about that is that Harry Reid, I am uh, positive he was, uh, the, as far as intelligence, part of that gang of eight uh, that I'm sure I believe that Mellon's referring to. 
Uh, so Harry Reid would have been one of those people. So Chris Mellon might be telling us something else. Why is Harry Reid starting OSAP to look into some of this stuff, trying to get uh, OSAP, or he, he used the term by them, ATIP, SAP access to be able to find that information out when Harry Reid had the ability to find that out himself. So maybe he felt he wasn't getting all the answers that he was supposed to get. And some people have suggested this, that ATIP might have been partially kind of, a, especially this SAP. Well, he even mentioned that there's discussion about this. The whole reason they wanted the SAP status was so they could get access to information and other special access programs. Um, so it seems like there was a lot of information that the uh, ATIP was a tool to get more information on what was out there. Uh, but of course they were denied SAP access. And the big question for me is Harry Reid, did you go ask these questions and were you denied information? What did you try to find on your own given the power of your office, which is huge? I mean, he was the, he, he was a very important person. That's a great point, and I did. I, I mentioned to him some of the other programs, and if they were located in a special access program, and he said they'd have to be. And that interview George Knapp did with him, it's like he mentioned other programs, and he gave that little sly smile, which I tweeted out. I was like, "What is he trying to tell us?" So yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. So what does Harry Reid know? What does he really know? But there's other players in this that just are not going to share what they know. I mean, Harry Reid is tight-lipped. Uh, Bob Bigelow, I mean, he rarely gives any interviews uh, and claims to know there's aliens here, but uh, won't share why he believes that. Uh, Hal Putoff is very good at holding stuff close to the vest. Um, fortunately, we have people like Eric Davis who, you once you get him going, <laughs> it's hard to get him to stop. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, that, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. This is just so interesting. We're getting so much information, and it's funny because, uh, like I talked about with uh, George Knapp, uh, he's someone who really geeks out on. He gets so excited, like like we do about all this stuff. It's like, uh, well, just imagine some of these guys trying to get this information for literally decades, and now there's this huge avalanche of of flow of information. Uh, how how amazing that would be. And speaking of. Uh information coming out um I, I wrote a blog about delong and melon comments um yesterday that i published um you know delong is saying that towards the end of the series um we're gonna see uh current program agents um, right. they're not gonna show their face yeah. i took that as meaning united states i mean he didn't clarify that but that's what we've been wanting this whole time is to know about the current program going on um, you know, Lou has told us that um, there is a current program going on. It may not be named ATIP, but it's alive and well, I think is what, how he put it. And uh, so that's going to be really huge. Another thing that um, I'm just totally flabbergasted by is that uh, Tom and uh, Mellon have both talked about NATO allies coming forward and talking about experiences. Um, I have some of the quotes right here. Uh, Tom said, you will see the intelligence agents of other NATO allies towards the end of the show. And then Mellon said, um, in fact, uh, as our investigation unfolds over the first six episodes this season, we're going to be presenting information from a NATO ally that's been having very similar experiences. So, you know, what if we get a New York Times level, um, you know, story about another country? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just speculating here, but uh, something big 
uh, may come about with this. And I think uh, everyone really needs to pay attention to that. Yeah, well, I think that, it's France. Uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that speculation, um, I think it's it's warranted because they had cameras with them when they were in Rome as well. So when they did the conference yeah. in Rome. So I think, um, yeah, it's definitely a European nation for sure. And I think it's going to be uh, collaborated with another article, not where they did it on purpose, but I think everything is timed. If, if one of the last episodes is when this is revealed, you know, I think they're definitely then um, working side by side with some of these governments in terms of when this stuff gets out there. To kind of uh, to kind of uh, parallel with w w when the episode airs. Mm -hmm. I hope there's video. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I th I would be more excited if it's Italy, but I kind of, they've mentioned France before. I think it might be France. Uh, the reason I'd be excited if it's Italy because we haven't heard as much uh, from them uh, historically, whereas we've heard a lot from France because they have their own official UFO organization that's been. Uh, going since the seventies, that was Jacques Vallée had a, a role in getting that rolling, actually. And so, if we do get if we do get to see current members of whatever the program is called, I mean that's probably one of the more exciting things I can think of. I I cannot wait for that. And the naysayers, what are they going to say? Oh, well, these, well, then no, these people are just these people are lying. They're not part of the program. What well, the program exists now, and these guys are saying we are investigating UFOs encounters with the military and it's happening right now it's going to shut up a lot of those naysayers mm -hmm. it may also change how the public views this because when they read the new york times article a tip was in the past even though we know it was still going on but that you know it was basically said in a lot of these media outlets that it was over with and i think that kind of put people's minds at ease in a way but what if the public now knows there's a current um uh, program investigating things right now um, as we speak and I, I think that may change how people view the subject mm -hmm. if they that's don't a, do it point. yep if they don't do it I can just picture Danny taking screenshots of every person <laughs> in the last few episodes and trying to figure out who all these people are but, I'm, assuming, uh, I'm assuming they're going to be in silhouette I, I would think they're not going to show their faces I think that's what DeLong said right Danny? yeah 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 he said they're not going to show their faces but hey we're going to get their uh their side profile. Oh, yeah. I'll take the, computers. I'll be happy with voices. Yeah. So finally, predictions. Anybody got a prediction? I got one. My prediction is we will hear clarification, more clarification from the DOD, backtracking even more from their statements. I'm absolutely certain of that. Awesome. I mean, I personally have uh, shared information with Sherwood, and uh, I know he's read it because I know he only got a couple emails that day on this. And uh, I haven't begun my campaign to really bug him to get more information. But I know I'm not the only one who shared information. And, of course, like I said, I'm the run of the litter. I don't have an organ. Even KLAS would have more pull uh, that George Knapp works with. But people like Bender with Politico, who says uh, essentially that he's looking for some clarification. Uh, Politico has a lot of clout. They're going to get a response of some sort. Uh, I'm, uh, so I'm sure that we'll get even more clarification there. Any of, uh, Any other predictions? I don't I'm, have just a, by, I'm just going by these comments, so yeah, uh, I'm just waiting for the program, the current program, and the NATO thing. Yep. I don't have a prediction, but I do have, can I bring up one other thing, because I Go really want to get you guys your take on this. Any idea, you know, the New York Times has now written several articles on this, not one mention of OSAP, and I know they would like to get people who are actually in the program so they can get, you know, so they can get an interview with one of those people, and they may be really difficult to get it, but I would think they would at least mentioned and that's how the program started because 
Nobody really, unlike, um, besides us, because we follow it so closely, people who are just, you know, just getting into this t- subject, they have no idea that it started with, you know, Skinwalker Ranch and the, the DIA scientists, according to George Knapp, you know, having the experience at the ranch, and that started everything. And nobody really knows about that unless, like I said, you're obsessed with the subject like we are. Any ideas why they haven't gone there? What? Um, I, uh-huh. I, I would argue that the reason, no, they haven't really gone there yet because it hasn't, the current story that, the most recent one, it hasn't really went to that specific story. I think they're doing an all-encompassing story about the beginning of the program. Then yes, I think that would be included. But I think just from what the previous story was talking about, I was talking about a specific incident. So they didn't go too far into the background of it. I think it's because uh, it's so sticky and weird. What the heck was Skinwalker? It's a really difficult situation to deal with. And like a lot of the uh, skeptics complain, they didn't find anything. All they left with was some anecdotal stories and nothing hard. I mean, these are credible people. I think they're great stories and, and people you can believe. But so what do you cover, especially that's credible there is tough. And the New York Times, they were actually the first before George Knapp uh, came out to say it was a DIA agent who helped inspire all of this. But they said the DIA agent wanted to meet Bigelow on a ranch in Utah that is like a uh, laboratory, used as a laboratory for uh, Bigelow and his paranormal investigations. That's how they framed it. Now, no doubt, Leslie Kane and I'm sure Ralph Blumenthal knew what that ranch really was, but they didn't go there in that first story. Uh, when I asked Leslie Kane about it, she said, well, Lou only told me about ATIP, so all we covered was ATIP, uh, which right. makes sense. And Lou's even said, I didn't want to share anything about He keeps saying that. OSAP, I didn't work on OSAP. I worked on ATIP. So I think that's a lot of it. Of course, there's a lot of access to OSAP that they can have because they just have to talk to the Bigelow people. Uh, Davis, Hal Putoff, who all were part of that investigation and part of ASAP. So they're OSAP. So there's people they can talk to, to to do a story. But it's tough. What would be the story? I mean, essentially, it would be a recap of Skinwalker, which uh, is just weird and doesn't have kind of the gravitas of any real hard findings. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't expect them to go into Skinwalker. Just, just the facts of that a DIA scientist actually had an experience and that started everything. Just that. I mean, you just that's how everything began and it's nowhere to be reported. It's not really reported anywhere. Although you said they did mention the DIA scientists, which I forgot about. Yeah. I would love to see a deep dive into OSEP. The thing is, we don't. We still don't know a lot about it. A lot of it is, is guarded and classified or whatever you would call it. And uh, even with Skinwalker, George Knapp said we know about 1% of what happened there. Um, or what's going on there, especially now. Um, so uh, there's just a whole lot that's behind the scenes. Um, everyone thinks that OSAP and ATIP was mainly the dirds, and uh, you know George Knapp has also commented that that was barely uh, part of it. You know that they had 50 employees investigating, and there's all this other stuff that we don't know about OSAP. Um, I just hope it comes out at least for us, so we can uh, find out more. I want to know what the DIA guy's experience was. I'm so extremely interested in what that might have been. I, I, I could tell you what Jeremy Corbell said. I was actually going to, I really want to write a blog about this. But so, so maybe I should save it for the blog. But all right, I'll, I'll let you know what Jeremy said. I know what George said. George said he, he, was in the, he was in the corner and he looked over somebody's shoulder and he saw something up, you know, over somebody's shoulder. And I never got details. And then one of the interviews, I don't remember which one it was, Jeremy Corpel said that he saw a, it was, 
Now I've got to think. You guys talk about something. I will try to remember exactly what he said. Oh, man, this is exciting. I want to know. It was, it was something scary. It was like an orb or I don't remember what it was, a, a shadow person. or Well, and what's like interesting that. is nothing had happened for years. I mean, of course, you guys have known this. We've heard George talk about that. But that uh, the phenomena was dormant for years. And then this guy shows up and something happens. And, and then here we are with a television program about a whole government project that was based off of because this event happened. So, you know, I'm thinking as I'm talking right now, a lot of the guys like uh, George uh, or um, John Alexander calls this a, a sentient uh, precognitive uh, phenomenon. And this phenomenon is the reason OSAP and ATIP and the television show Unidentified and Lou got all of what we're talking about on this show is all started from this friggin' event that uh, hopefully Mike can remember what it was. Yeah. Point. You're right. I can't remember right now. I promise. I- I'm not holding back. It's well, just- you know what? Let's save it for the blog. As much as I'd like you for you to share it, go ahead and write the blog and we'll just plug. So punk rock and UFOs dot com is Mike's blog where you'll be able to get that. Danny just talked what? about no, Joe's. It's going to be on Joe's. Oh, Joe, well, this oh, is Joe. I'm sorry. That'll, I thought yeah, that that'll was... be on ufojoe.net, if I can remember. I have it written down somewhere, and I'll, I will write about oh, it. Oh, I got your voices mixed up. You guys have it similar. So, Joe, so check out ufojoe.net, and just save it for your blog. This will plug your blog, so people have to watch Ufo Joe. And it's, and it's not some crazy, like, an alien. Like, somebody told me, oh, it's an alien. I'm like, no, it's more It's more scientific. It's more, like, geometric shape type thing, and I'll, I'll figure it out. But we're all on Twitter. People don't like some people don't like Twitter. You got to get on Twitter. I mean, especially every reporter knows that's where all the news is happening. Of course, when you're watching the news, they're all talking about somebody tweeted this. Of course, the president. But uh, somebody tweeted this. Somebody tweeted that. Um, but you know, all of these guys are on Twitter and they're sharing all of their stories. They're all, you know, you guys, I'll I'll tell you all right now, you're doing the best work in this field. You guys are digging and finding the most important information and getting those stories out there. I'm just so thrilled that you all are are paying attention to this and writing your blogs because you're you're really doing some awesome work out there. And I highly recommend everybody check out these guys' blogs. Of course, I'll have links to all of them in the show notes. But uh, thank you all so much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Alejandro. Thank you. you know, a, uh, I always say this: you're, you're a great uh, role model, role model for us. And um, thank you for what you do. You've been doing it a lot of years. Well, it's a, it's a thrill. I think we all feel it. It's a lot of fun. So it, it's a privilege, and it's even more of a privilege to have people like you in here, also, uh, especially when we're getting attacked by knuckleheads who uh, should know better <laughs> and do know better. So what can you do? But uh, thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. That's Thanks for having know. us. Yeah, uh, thank you for having us, and um, thank you for letting me be in this room with a bunch of heavyweights, so appreciate it. (laughs) Actually, I've lost a lot of weight. I've been on the keto diet. Thank you so much to Mike DeMonte of Punk Rock and UFOs, Danny Silva of The Silver Record, and Joe Mergia of UFO Joe for joining us today. We're going to have links at the bottom uh, in the show notes to all of their pages, and I would suggest you definitely follow these guys 
and their social media, uh, especially Twitter. We talked about this. Twitter is where it's happening, man. Brian Bender's on there. That's where news people are. There's just a lot going on. You get boom, boom, up to the minute information on what's going down. So I highly advise you follow us all on Twitter. In fact, you can see some of these guys, you know, getting in there and uh, having these little verbal battles with uh Uh, Well, I guess these would be uh, textual battles with some of the other detractors in there. But lots of exciting stuff going on with these guys. I highly recommend that you follow them because uh, there's lots of interesting stuff that goes on that falls through the cracks that I don't catch that these guys do. So check them out. Otherwise, I do want to uh, also tell you, be sure to check out our interviews if you haven't. My interview and... uh, and uh, Martin Willis with Podcast UFO, his interview with Lou Elizondo. I mean, uh, there hasn't been a lot of information to come out that at least, you know, answer some of the questions that we've been dying to ask. So we were able to get some great information out on those. Otherwise, I want to give you some UFO Congress updates. We're going to have Kevin Day at the event. So we just announced that. Kevin Day was a radar operator. You can see him in the latest episode of Unidentified. Very cool guy. Of course, I interviewed him a few few weeks ago, but you'll be able to meet him, ask your own questions of him at the conference. That's going to be great. Another person we added is James Fox. Of course, I've had him on the show quite a bit. So those of you who have been listening for a while know him well. He created what are some of the best documentaries, most credible documentaries out there on the topic, Out of the Blue, and I Know What I Saw. And he's got a new one coming out. When you hear who's been involved with this new project, it will blow your mind. I get all of these secrets and I'm always dying to share this stuff with you guys. But what I can share is He's interviewed some of the most incredible people um, that you could regarding this issue. So if you sat down and you thought, you know, I would love to hear from this person or that person, he's interviewed them. So this next documentary is going to be incredible, and he'll be able to share information about it. And it'll, it's going to come out soon after the UFO Congress. So you're going to get a heads up on all of the cool stuff that's in there at the UFO Congress. Just go to ufocongress.com to register. Use the code SAVE25. That's uppercase S-A-V-E-2-5. When you're checking out, you'll get $25 off. I'm hooking you up, dudes. You got to come. And plus, I'd love to see you. So come in and say hi. It's going to be a ton of fun. That's September 4th through the 8th in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. So ufocongress.com. Otherwise, I guess that is about it for now. Be sure to join us next week. We've got a great show. It's going to be Nick Pope, who worked for the Ministry of Defense at their UFO desk. And he's always got great insights into all of what's going down with all of this because he's got experience working in the government for this type of thing. Uh, He also will be talking to us about these new UK UFO documents that have been uh, published. So it's like, you know, they said that they released them all, but they didn't. So find out more about these files next week. I want to thank Martin Willis of Podcast UFO for joining us at the beginning of the show with the news. I want to thank uh, Caleb Hanks uh, for the intro and the outro music of the show. He's got great stuff. Sometimes people ask about his music because they love it so much. I do too. If you go to the Open Minds UFO radio site at openminds.tv, you'll be able to see a link to his stuff. He posts a lot of his music for free and it's all really good stuff. I also want to thank Systematics for the bumper music and I want to thank you, the listeners, for being here once again. Until next week, adios muchachos.